Hey friends, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to personally welcome you to our podcast. At TC, we exist to see people transformed from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. I'm excited that you guys are here and uh, we've been in the Alone series. We're going to jump straight in today to Scripture alone. And so we've talked about how we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that's been the first three weeks. You can go check those out online if you want to. And today we're going to talk about scripture alone because the big question is how does the word of God apply to the people of God? And I think that's an important question we have to answer because I don't know, I don't know if you recognize, but there's always an attempt to dismantle the value of the Bible that God gave us. And so we actually want to talk about what the scripture, what it means to live a life according to the scripture alone. And so we're going to do that. How many guys are directionally challenged? Any directionally challenged people in here? How many of you get super frustrated when people tell you to go north on a certain road? (laughs) Right? Like go north and then turn when you get a chance to go west. And it's like, listen, bro, is this before or after the Krispy Kreme? I don't know. Like, so I don't know. Like, is it, I don't, do I go, do I make it to the Sonic? Right? And is it happy hour for slush? I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to figure all this out. And so I believe for some of us, like, uh, you get frustrated about, like, this idea, like, north, south, east, what, like, you know what I mean? Like, go west on 10 or I-10. See, I don't even know. I don't know which one goes east and west. But, like, you, you get on one of the roads. And for many of us, we can be a little bit direction challenged. And here's where it's worse. You ready? Here's where it's worse. It's worse when you got a traffic jam, Right? Because then you're passing by like a cop or like maybe there's a wreck or something. The cop's like, you know, I've rolled my window down before and they were like, hey, yeah, listen, there's a detour. You just got to go east on blank road. And I'm looking at the cop like, listen, dog, you and I both know. I don't know which way east is. Like, you know, I don't know which, wh- how do I get to that road? I don't even know. Who are you? I'm not even from here. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so, but I am. But I just, like, I front like I'm not because I'm like, I don't even know where I'm going. So east, west, whatever. And, and um, here's what I believe is true about the Bible. I believe for many of us, we are navigating different aspects of our life, trying to figure out which direction we're supposed to be going. We're, we're, we're trying to figure out where God wants us to be, what direction he wants us to go. And that can be hard when we don't have something that's constantly consistent in pointing us in a healthy direction. You see, here's the problem, is whenever we allow the world to dictate to us what is actually right according to God, we feel the same way I felt lost in that wreck, not knowing which way north is. And so what we actually need in our life as Christians is more of a compass that always keeps us pointed in the right direction. And so my attempt today is going to be to try to show you how it's actually scripture, the the Bible and the Bible alone is our authority and everything else works around it, not as part of it. And so that's our goal today is to try to show you that. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, scripture alone. All right, so let's go there. But to do that, we got to understand where we've got it wrong. So we got to understand where not just we as people, where we as Christians have gotten it wrong, where just society in general has gotten it wrong. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 2 for a second, and we're going to start there. That's not going to be where we end, but that is going to be where we start. Genesis chapter 2, beginning of the Bible. It's the first book, if you didn't know. Okay, so it's going to pop up on the screen. But in Genesis chapter 2, we see something happening after God created man, right? And, and so the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So God said, hey, listen, man, all of this is yours. 
It's all yours. Like, I just tend it, take care of it. You get to live here. It's going to be amazing. And so just tend it, take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree. Say any tree. Any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Say must not. All right, so we're clear here, right? So there's no gray area. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Say certainly die. Okay, so just so we're clear, God went out of his way to use keywords here. All right, so it wasn't like, ah, you know, like you may, I don't know. know. Like, you know, he went out of his way. So then let's jump over to Genesis chapter 3, and let's just see what they did with that information, shall we? Genesis 3, 1 through 5, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals, and the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, talking about the serpent, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And this is the enemy's response, right? You will not certainly die. Like, I want you to think back to verse 17 of Genesis chapter 2 a second. What did, he, what did God say would happen? He didn't just say die, certainly die. The enemy comes back and says, you will not certainly die, right? And so he continues on. He says, you will not certainly die. And so uh, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, from your, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And, and I, I want to go ahead and give this to you out of the gate. If you have your notes, you can take those out. If you're following along with electronic notes, you can do that as well. But you see, the thing that we have to understand when it comes to the word of God is the primary goal of the enemy will always be to get you to doubt the word of God. So in Gen- like God has made man and fresh out the gate, what does the enemy come and try to do? It's like, well, I don't, he didn't really say that. He, he kind of said this, but it wasn't that. So, so out of the gate, the enemy comes in and he starts trying to distort the truth that God has already given us. And from that day till today, and from today till forever, the primary goal of the enemy is not going to be to convince you that God's a liar. It's going to be to distort the truth enough that you'll fall into the trap of not believing that it is true in itself. It's not to convince you that God doesn't exist. It's just to convince you that you can live however you want to and it won't matter. It's not to convince you that God's not real. It's just to make you go, man, I'm really good on all of this except for that ark thing. I don't know, the animals two by two, like that's just weird. Because here's the thing, if he can get you to doubt part of it, he can get you to doubt all of it. And so what he does is he comes in and he goes, I don't know if that part's really true. The problem is, is if we don't lean on scripture and scripture alone, and we start to go, "Mm, yeah, I believe the Bible, but I don't believe all the Bible. The problem is, where do you start and stop believing the Bible? And so we have to actually come and look at how the Bible is written to us. And so there's two different formats that we uh, obtain or we retain the information in the Bible. So the Bible is the logos words, which is the written words. So say logos. All right, so that is the written word of God, and we have that, right? And, and just to help you out a little bit, because people are like, oh, the Bible's not clear, like it doesn't, it contradicts itself or whatever. I figured I'd show you a cool little picture. Go ahead and throw it up there for us real quick, guys. So this picture right here is uh, an image that shows, so all the white lines on the bottom, you guys see those? Those are all books of the Bible and chapters of the books of the Bible, 
all the lines that are arcing are all the places that the books in the Bible confirm each other. So all of these lines that are creating this rainbow are all every place in the Bible where the Bible confirms itself that it's actually true. And so if you've ever needed help, if you've ever needed, like, I just don't know, like, is the Bible real? Has it changed over time? Whatever. Here's you an image right here to show you that the Bible has constantly, it has consistently, and it will always confirm that it is the written word of God. And God confirmed it even in the Bible itself over and over and over. Thousands of times the Bible gives one thread, one meaning, and one message, which is Jesus is coming for his people. And here's the beauty. It's not the message that Jesus is coming for you to live a perfect life. It's not that Jesus is coming to discipline you. It's not that Jesus is coming to put a whooping on you. It is not any of those things. Jesus is coming for his people. And that is the constant message throughout the Bible. So that should give us great hope. Turn to your neighbor and say hope. All right. But then there's the other thing. So there's the Logos word, which is what we are looking at. And then there's this way that we obtain that word. And that's when the Bible goes from the Logos, the written word, to Rhema. Say Rhema. So Rhema word is the revelation of word. And it's not different than logos. It confirms the written word. And so I'm giving you a little bit of like seminary education for half a second, okay? But, but how many guys have ever read the Bible and it did absolutely nothing for you? You can be honest. Don't you? are not a bad Christian. Like, I, me too. Okay, like, I got to the book of Numbers and was like, snooze fest. Okay, like, so, so I, I've, I've been there before. But how many guys have ever read the Bible and it, like, jumped off the page at you? You were like, oh, my God, like, this is crazy, right? Like, there's some stuff in this book. So that's when the written word became revelation. And so that's when the, the Logos word became rhema. And so here's what I want to help you understand today is that God desires that this would be something that we don't, we don't just give our time to, we give our lives to. And so God wants us to commit our lives to it. But hear me, not, of, not as a behavior modification guide, but as truth to guide us constantly back to the one that can save us. And so let's jump in today to scripture alone. Turn to your neighbor and say, scripture alone. All right, making sure we're all on the same page. That was not convincing. Let's try it one more time. Even you guys online, look at your dog in the bed with you because you're still in your pajamas even though we're here. No judgment. All right, everyone say scripture alone. Perfect. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says this. All scripture, say all, is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable equipped for every good work. So it doesn't just say it's good for your private time with God. It says it's good for everything. And so here's what I want you to understand out of the scripture alone in your notes is truth to be read. Scripture alone is truth to be read. It is something that you should read. It's something you should take in. And here's the deal. It is truth. It's not, it doesn't just hold truth. It is truth. It doesn't just have truth written in it. It is truth. Everything in it, everything about it, it is the word of God and it is truth. And so it's a truth to be read because it is truth. And so here's a few things that it talks about when it comes to truth. The first thing it talks about when it comes to truth, it talks about God's nature. It talks about God's covenants, our nature. It talks about Jesus' sacrifice. And it talks about an eternity that waits for all of us. Because hear me, friends, there is an eternity that waits for all of us. 
And so it, it actually gives us information, all of that. And so here's the deal. Here's the beauty. Where do we get the idea of salvation? How many guys are thankful for Jesus that he came on the scene? He's rescued you from your sins and you are excited about the day where you get to meet him face to face. Okay, so here's the deal. That revelation comes from the word of God. And here's where many of us fall. Are you ready? Many of us fall into this idea that I love the scripture for showing me how Jesus is going to save me, but I don't necessarily want the scripture for how he tells me I should live my life today. Like, I don't know if you fall into that category. When I read the Bible, it constantly kind of shows me like, ooh, ugh, I still got to work on that. Love your enemies? Not today. Okay, so like, so, so it constantly is good at showing us where we're not quite getting it right yet, right? So here's the deal. Many of us would read this and go, thank you, Jesus. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Thank you, Jesus. Then it goes to James and it says, uh, you know, starts talking about love your neighbor yourself, love the poor people the way you love the rich people. And you're like, ooh, I don't know if that quite falls into my agenda today. And here's the problem. Is for many of us, we've gone to the Bible and we've said, I'll take it for my eternal life, but I'm not interested in it in my temporal one. So, like, I don't want to follow it today. I'm just grateful for what it promises me in the end. And God says, if you're going to get it in the end, we had better use it for today. And so, not because we have to, but because we want to. And so, he comes on the scene and shows us that. And so, what has happened over the years is we've seen a number of false teachings, false teachers, we call them heretics. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen all of these things show up. And for thousands of years, since the Bible has been written, there have been people that have gotten it wrong. There have been people that have intentionally gotten it wrong. There have been people that have led people astray from what God has said in his word. And here's the reality, is that as people continue to try, continue to, try to lead people from God's word, there is constantly a resurgence to try to bring people back to God's word. And so here's what happens. Uh, I'll put it to you like this. Uh, I want you to imagine right now, Rich, I see you over there. I want you to imagine, Rich, that someone walks up to you and says, here's the keys to a $500,000 yacht. You going to take it? In Jesus' name, yes. Okay, so <laughs> blessings are falling from heaven. All right, so, so someone walks up to you, and I want all of you to imagine, someone walks up to you, they give you a key to a half-million-dollar yacht, and they're like, here you go, bro. You can, you can do whatever you want with it. Let me ask you this question. Are you going to tie that thing off to a dock or a buoy? If you don't know what a buoy is, it's a thing that floats around in the water, just floats. You're going to tie it off to a dock or a buoy? Why would you tie it off to a dock? Because a dock don't go anywhere. You can tie it off to a buoy if you want. That just means the buoy and the boat are going to be out there in the ocean somewhere floating around, right? Like, it's senseless to think that we would tie it off to that. But here's the reality. We tie it to the dock because it doesn't move. But if we do that with a boat that doesn't cost us anything, what will we do with our eternal life that costs us everything? And so for many of us, we're looking at the Bible going, I just don't really think this is, I would rather tie my eternity to something constantly moving than tie it to something that's constantly still. But when we think about something that could pass away, a boat or whatever, we want to tie that to something still because we don't want to lose it. And so here, my, my attempt to you to show you this morning as we get moving is that we need to be tying ourselves to something that doesn't move. Something that is constant and consistent. Something that every time we open it, it shows us the same truth, even if it shows us to, it, to us in new ways. 
And so we need the constant thing in our life. And so here's the thing that I want to encourage you with, to look at the Bible and say, man, I just don't know if I believe blank in it is a very slippery slope that I want to try to help you with. Listen, I'm not telling you to have blind faith. There's plenty of evidence that this is true, and we're not even going to go down that road because I could do that all day and all night. But here's what I want to show you, is if you say, because I have literally sat across the table from people and they said, you know, Pastor Brad, I just don't know, like, the ark, the flood, like, I don't know, like, is that real? Like, I, you know, and the, so we have those conversations. They go, I just can't, I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm believing in it for what it says for my salvation, but I just don't know if I can believe in it for like about the, the flood or the thing or like, and, and they start going down the line. And here's what I tell them. I said, here's the deal. I said, if you start drawing lines about what's truth and what's not truth, what happens when the lines start moving? Because if, if the ark isn't true, if the flood isn't true, but salvation is and Jesus is, what happens when the line moves into Jesus isn't real? And here's the deal. When it comes to the word of God, we get all of it or we get none of it. And so we have to tie to something permanent and something that never changes. And so we go to the, the, the dock instead of the buoy. Because when we go to the dock instead of the buoy, we're tying something that, to, that does not change. And here's the reality is we're tying ourselves to Jesus. And, and we go to Hebrews 13, 8. It says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, he's never changing. But it also says that the word is Jesus. And so when we go to John 1, 14, it says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh, Jesus. So the Bible is a representation. It is confirmation. And it is the same truth as Jesus. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So we have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So, so Jesus comes on the scene. He never changes. Jesus is a representation of the word that never changes. So if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, what do you think that means about this? It's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And it doesn't matter what happens outside those walls. I will love every single person, no matter their sexual preferences, no matter what they look look like, no matter where they come from, I will love every person, but this book doesn't change. And we have to tie ourselves to something that is permanent and something that is eternal. And so when we read Hebrews 13, 8, and it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we read John 1, 14, it says the word became flesh. That means that Jesus never changes. His word never changes. And so we love people and we introduce them to his word that never changes so that they can experience the same change that we experience in Christ Jesus who saved us by grace, through faith, according to Christ alone. But here's the beauty behind the Bible. It is not here to cause us to look in the mirror at our flaws and hide them from God. This doesn't cause us to look in the mirror and go, man, I still don't love my neighbor well enough. I still got this addiction problem. I'm still dealing with that issue. Let me hide them from God. Nor is it to cause us to look in the mirror and declare that though God accepts me as I am, he intends to leave me as I am. Because 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. In other words, it never changes. It's the same yesterday and today and forever. Christ is. Christ is the word. So when Christ comes on the scene and he brings the word, that something in us is never the same after he shows up. And so we are transformed. The Westminster Confession of Faith says this, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life 
is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deducted from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. In other words, it is whole and complete right now as it sits. Now, that don't mean some of us don't need help reading it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The these, thous, and thuses had to go. I'm just saying whatever. So, but it is whole and complete right now as it sits. And it is good for both our eternity but also for our life. It is good to show us salvation, but it is also good to show us how Christ desires for us to live, our faith, our life. And it does that exclusively to introduce us to the truth of how God desires our life to be. So what happens is scripture alone, number two, is a mirror to see our reflection. It is a mirror to see our reflection. You see, scripture alone is alive to us today. It is alive to us today. And here's the beauty that scripture is actually what we call self-authenticating. In other words, scripture is true. And we know that scripture is true because scripture tells us it's true. And people go, well, that's a circular argument. That doesn't really work. Listen, anything is a circular argument. Krispy Kreme is the best donuts on the planet. Right? Can I, yeah, right? Hot, fresh, pillow, pillowy clouds of goodness, right? I'm just saying, like, if you disagree, you're wrong, whatever. Now, there are people putting bacon on donuts, and I think we really got something going there, okay? So I just, just for the record. So, like, if there's ever been a challenge, I'm like, all right, all right, you guys got, you got a point, all right? But here's the reality. If I say Krispy Kreme is the best donuts on the planet, and they go, how do you know? And go, because I've had them, and I say they are. And we go, oh, okay. Hear me, friends, that's a circular argument. If Krispy Kreme says that they have the best donuts and then we try them and we agree they're the best donuts, they're only the best donuts because we say they're the best donuts. And hear me, there's circular arguments to everything. In other words, every argument starts back at the idea that someone says it's true. If we're always going to lean on the fact that every argument is in fact a circular argument and it's only true because someone says it's true, then let's at least let the truth be in the hands of the God that wrote it in the first place. For some of you that went, and that's okay. And so it is truth for us. And here's the reality about the Bible, right? How many have ever noticed that you, when you read the scriptures, the scriptures do a better job at reading you? Yeah. Like, like when I read the Bible again, and it, it, it points out all the areas of my life that I'm like, oh gosh, I'm still not there yet. And I'm like confessing this as the pastor of the church. Like I still got a ways that I can go on loving people. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The whole, like, pray for those that despitefully use you thing. I'm like, hmm, just not there yet, God. But here, here's the reality. The scriptures do an amazing job at reading us. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active. It is not dead and dormant. It's alive and it's active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to Dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, doesn't it? Like there's a truthful scripture for you. You see, everything necessary, everything binding on our conscience and everything God requires us is given to us in scripture. Second Peter 1.3 uh, says this, his divine power has given us 
everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. And where do we obtain the knowledge of him? Here. So hear me, everything we need to, to pursue his glory and goodness is already given to us right here. Which brings me to my last point, and that's that scripture alone calls us to respond to Christ. Scripture alone calls us to respond to Christ in faith and in action. And because of this, because of this reality, listen, it causes us, it, it brings us to a place where we're supposed to look at the word, see the beauty of Jesus in it, and then respond to the beauty of who Jesus is for us on our behalf. And so it calls us to respond to Christ both in faith, yes, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, where we look at what Jesus did for us on the cross and we respond to that in faith and say, I'm putting all of my sins on you that you have given me a way of escape from myself. And so we do that, but hear me, also in action. That when when Jesus comes on the scene for us, that we are prompted to live life differently and we are prompted to pursue him with everything that we have. And and in that we find great beauty. In Psalm Psalm 19, it talks about this. It says, uh, I want you to read how the psalmist is defining, describing the word of God here, right? Because here's the deal. When the first time I read this passage, I was like, I do not read the Bible like that. Like I read it and was like, I don't know, that's not that, whatever. Like that ain't, that's not how I read the Bible. It's not, it doesn't feel like that to me. This is how he writes. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping him there is great reward. That's what David's talking about when he's talking. He's talking about this. Sweeter than honey, like greater than gold. And he's describing this. I'm not going to lie to you. The first time I read that, even in my older age, in my early 20s, I was like, I don't know. I like, I mean, it's cool and all. But when I read it, I just don't see, like, it doesn't do that. You know. It's not a hot now dozen, you know. And, and, and like I told you before, I, I, I mentioned this in one of my sermons a few weeks back, but I kind of ended up in this place of, of frustration. I remember sitting at a table with some of my friends who when they read it, it was doing something different in them than it was doing in me. And we sat there and we were reading Romans 5 together. It was at a Waffle House. And I'm certain that that waitress thought we were crazy. Because it was one of the most passionate conversations ever. For them three. And I'm just sitting here like, 
I don't know what y'all are reading. My Bible doesn't have, like, do y'all have a translation where it tells you to get excited at a certain point? I don't understand this. And I, I was sitting there and I was, and I was reading it along with them and I went back to my car and I've told you guys this before, this story before, but I went back to my car and I literally told God, I said, God, I don't know what it is that they have, but I want it. Because when they read it, it means something different to them. And if I'm going to base my whole life on this, like if I'm going to give you everything and, and all that I have is in these, these books that are written in here, if, if, if this is going to be what I give my whole life to, then God, I need, you to, I need you to help me read it the way they read it. And that day started something in me that was never the same because what I realized was that there are things in my life that made it hard for me to open this book. Because it does show you your anger problem, doesn't it? It does show you that you got some unforgiveness you need to deal with. It does show you that you got some bitterness in your heart. It does show me that I still have some issues. It does show us our addiction problems. It does show us how we've built idols in our life. It does show us how even though God said, have no other gods before me, we do have plenty of gods that come before him. But it does a really good job at showing us all the places that we've gotten it wrong. And hear me, this is what I want you to understand today, is this isn't the part of the sermon where I tell you to now get it all right. This is the part of the sermon where I tell you that the Bible does two things. It shows you how you can't get it right. And if that were the end, it would be a tragedy because that means we could never measure up. But it doesn't stop at showing you all the places you're wrong. It shows you all the places where Jesus has made you right, even though you can't be. That your sins can be washed away despite your shortcomings and your failures, that despite all the areas where you hadn't quite gotten it figured out yet, despite your addiction issue and your unforgiveness and your anger problem and your bitterness, despite the fact that you hadn't quite forgiven that person yet, right? You saw in the hallway at Walmart and was like, nope, not today, Satan. Okay, we're going a different direction. Like those people, even though those people may exist for you, even though you may be dealing with a few things, the Bible shows us we don't have it all together, but it points us to Jesus who on our behalf got it all together. And so my encouragement to you today is to not read it as a list of rules to be followed, but read it as a life to be pursued. But you pursue it in the freedom that Jesus has brought into your life. And when we read it that way, it changes our skepticism to confidence. This quote I gave you earlier, the primary goal of the enemy is to get you to doubt the word of God, and that is true. And earlier we talked about the difference between the Logos word and the Rhema word of God. The Logos is the written word, but Rhema is what happens when the written word becomes revelation. It's what happens when we don't just read ink on paper, but it becomes alive to our spirit. Where God does what he promised and it cuts between joint and marrow where it divides spirit and it shows us truth, absolute revelation of who God is. And so 
We talked about how there's the written word, but then that written word can and will become alive. And I want to take you to Luke 5, 5. I'm going to show you kind of what this could look like. Luke 5, 5, we see Simon Peter, he's gone out fishing. And he's in this place where his world has kind of fallen apart, honestly. He's confused. He's hurt. He's looking for answers and he's not getting them. I know some of you have heard the phrase, God won't put more on you than you can bear. It's a lie. God will absolutely put more on you than you can bear. Because how else does his strength become perfect in our weakness? And in Luke 5, 5, we see the disciples, they've gone fishing. Their whole world has fallen apart, and so they go fishing. I think that explains some of you. When your world goes apart, you you just go fishing. And so he goes, and they're fishing. And and here's the crazy part. They caught nothing. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. These are professional fishermen in waters they know, in a boat they know, and they caught nothing all night. And I can imagine them being frustrated. Like, what is going on? Like, they went to their secret spot. Y'all know fishermen, they got secret spots, and they're really weird about those spots. Like, now you've done nothing to come to my spot. And so they, they go to their spots, but even when they get to their spots, they still aren't catching anything. And they're going, what is going on? And you can imagine, I want you to just sit in this for a second, their frustration. My world is falling apart, so I finally go back to the only thing that I know how to do, and even when I get to that thing, it's not working like it's supposed to. And in Luke 5, 5, Jesus shows up on the scene, and this is what he says. He says, I want you to throw it on the other side. Throw your nets on the other side. And and Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But this is his response. But because you say so. And that word, say, those words say so, because you say so. If we go back to the language that it's written in, it's not referencing because you have given us your word. It's giving us the word that represents rhema, which is because you are giving me something that's alive. I will let down the nets. And if you've ever read the story before, you know that they pull in more fish than they could even keep in their nets. And I want you to imagine for a second how frustrated these guys must be because they are in waters they know, in boats they know, catching fish they should know how to catch. And they can't catch anything. And they are frustrated. And I think for some of us, or for for some of them, it is the reality that it's the grace of God they couldn't catch fish because they didn't need the fish, they needed Jesus. But Jesus wasn't going to let them catch the fish because they really needed to catch him. So I'm going to let you go without for a little while so that as long as you go without, when I finally show up, you lean on me instead of leaning on the fish, right? And so... I'm sure it's not hard to realize that even though we look at Luke 5, 5 to see what the disciples were doing, I'm really talking about us, aren't I? That for some of you, you have exhausted your options. 
You have gone down every path trying to get things to work the way you want them to work. You are tired, you are weary, and you can go ahead and say it, you're frustrated. You're looking at God with a fist in the air going, where were you? And everything that you laid out in your life to go a certain way may not be going that way. You had plans and you knew they were gonna go the way you thought they were gonna go. But just like with the disciples, sometimes it's the grace of God that our plans didn't work. Because the last thing some of us needed were to do things our way and think for half a second we didn't need God to help us do things his way. And God showed up on the scene. Jesus shows up on the scene. And when he shows up on the scene, what does he do? He says, I want you to try it my way. And their response is, listen, because you said so. And I want to bring you to this place today and help you understand something. We're talking about scripture alone. And I know it's written and I know you can read it. But I want you to start praying to God that he would do in you what he did to the disciples that way, uh, that day. And say, you know what? It's not just about what we've heard you teach. It's not just about the Old Testament that we've read with you. It's not just about any of those things, but now you're telling me something. Now you're leading me to do something. Now I want this written word to become a living word to me. I want it to become a revelation. I want it to become real. And I'm here, I'm here to tell you right now that God will show up in your life and help you see that this isn't something that was just written thousands of years ago so that we could read it and go, that's a really cool story. But it is everything that we need in our life. It will lead us. It will guide us. It will instruct us. It will help us. It will encourage us. It will comfort us. It will take us from where we are to where God wants us to be. And even in the ways that it shows us that we're failing and we're never going to be good enough, it also shows us that Jesus came on the scene so that where we could never be good enough, he died in our place so that we could still be good enough even though we could never be there ourselves. So is it worth it? Absolutely. Is it worth putting our life on? Absolutely. Is it worth investing in? Absolutely. And here's the reality, because some of you I believe are much like I was at that Waffle House with my friends, going, I read it, but I, don't, I just don't get it. Well, I wanna tell you this, and it's the last thing, last quote before we close today. God's word becoming real to you isn't, just getting more of it. It's giving more of yourself to it. You're not gonna sit back in your chair and say, all right, God, I read some today, change me. It's gonna require you saying, all right, God, show me all the places I need to give myself more to you and to your word and help it come alive to me. And friends, I promise you, he will do it because we can base our life on scripture and scripture alone. Let's pray today. God, we thank you that you have given us all that we need. And even in moments of our lives where we feel that we are in dark places, where maybe we feel that we have lost ourselves or how you want things to go or whatever the case may be, God, we also have absolute confidence in who you are and in your word. So help your scriptures, help your word 
become real to us. It's not a book that we read. It's not just basic instructions before leaving earth. It's a transforming love story of the power of God and a guide for our way back to you constantly. So thank you today. We love you. Help us see all that you want to accomplish in us today. In Jesus' name. With everyone's head bowed and your eyes closed today, if you're here, and you've got some things in your life that have separated you from God. Sin in your life. And we've all been there. The Bible says that there's none righteous, not one. But today, as we've talked about this word and how this word points you to Jesus who has come to change everything and give you a fresh start even when you can't be good enough to earn that fresh start. And none of us can. Today, if you're ready for Jesus to give you a clean slate, a new beginning and a fresh start, then we wanna pray with you today because we're ready to see God do the work in your life that only he can do. So I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me and this prayer doesn't make you saved. Putting your faith in Jesus that when he died on the cross, he paid for your sins, that alone is what makes you saved. But we want to pray prayer to put words to the actions of our heart that says, Jesus, we believe in you. And so I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me and the whole church is going to pray with you so you're not praying by yourself. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my wrongs. I give you my life. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I believe you paid for my sins. So I give you my life. Make me brand new. Make me a new person and I'll follow you forever. In Jesus name, amen and amen. CC, let's give it up for all those that prayed that today. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We are so excited.